Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. Don't forget to check us out at familyvisionmedia.org and stacyontheright.com where we're doing all the fun stuff. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Billy Hallowell, a good friend of mine from the old days. He specializes in faith, culture, and storytelling. He's a journalist, commentator, and digital TV host. Billy Hallowell has covered thousands of the biggest faith and culture stories. He's written more than 13,000 articles on faith, culture, and politics. He has interviewed hundreds of celebrities, authors, and influencers, including myself. (laughs) And he's the author of three books, the most recent one is what we'll be discussing today. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm super excited because today's subject is not one that I often get to have a conversation with anyone about in media because it's kind of a taboo or not even, I wouldn't say it's a taboo. It's one where if you bring it up, people who know what you're talking about nod kind of slowly like, okay, one mention is enough. Let's not go down this road. We don't have to talk about this. But the fact is, this is a super important topic for people of faith because things that uh, prove the evidence of our subject today are happening around us all the time. Your book is called Playing With Fire, A Modern Investigation into Demons, Exorcism, and Ghosts. Why'd you write it? That's a great question. So if you had said to me, you know, like two years ago, hey, you're going to write this book about demons, exorcism and ghosts, I would have laughed at you probably because I would have said, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm a Christian. I've believed in all these things my entire life. But the idea that I would sit down and write about it, you know, I probably would have just said, no, that's crazy. And yet here we are. We're, (laughs) We're talking about this book. And you know, for me, I'm the kind of person where whatever I'm doing professionally, I really want to feel like it's something I'm called to do. And the craziest thing with this book is that I had rejected writing it beforehand. A few years ago, a publisher had come, and I won't bore you with all the details, but they made an offer for me to write it, and I just didn't feel right about it. And then when the opportunity came again, you know, I'm a big prayer person. I prayed about it, and I was like, look, this is a dark topic. It's a little bit of a weird topic, I think, especially for secular culture outside of sort of Christian culture. And yet every movie that we watch during September and October, every year and other parts of the year, it's about this topic. I mean, Hollywood loves this topic. And so I started to sort of feel like, look, this is a subject that I think a lot of people inside and outside of Christian churches don't really understand well. And I wanted to tackle it in a way that would help people navigate it, understand it, and sort of answer the questions that a lot of us have, almost every human being, even if you're an atheist, you have these questions about these experiences that people have had. And so I wanted to answer some of those questions and really selfishly sort of go on that journey myself as well. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is I am so grateful that you drew that connection because I often find myself cringing, not because someone who's a Christian or person of faith is bringing up anything about demons or anything like that. It's because I'm around people who are far more secular and they're constantly talking about their encounters with ghosts and something. I heard a voice like this, you know, and I'm like thinking my mind is going, that's demonic. Tell them that to right. stop doing. And I'll even say, you know, you really should, you know, find another way to entertain yourself. Tarot cards are an, an open door, you know. And exactly. But the response yep. that I get is always a surprise to me, Billy, because when I say that's an open door, sometimes the person will look right at me and say, I know that's what I want, or I don't care if it's an open door. I enjoy it. 
Um, so there's an acknowledgement there. There's, I find people will actually acknowledge to me that they know that the demonic realm exists. They don't deny it. They don't say, no, it's not, or it's harmless. They say, yes, I want power, or yes, I, I feel like I'm doing something when, I, when I'm engaging in this. That's all totally different. Like when I was younger, if you said, oh, that's demonic, people would go, oh, do you believe in demons? Like you really believe right. Satan is real? You know, that whole thing. <laughs> now everyone's like, oh, Satan's real. You know, the church of Satan exists and demons are real. Yeah, but they have power. Yeah, well, and, and look, at here's the thing. Even if you don't believe they do, look at what goes on in reality TV. Almost every reality show, the housewives, all these other people, they're going to seances. They're holding seances. They're using tarot cards. They're going to psychics. I mean, this has become so embedded in culture as a normal thing to do. And so yet you have, you have millions of people who are not engaging in faith at all, who in some senses would act as though they don't believe in anything broader, and yet here they are trying to find power through people in these forces that they're not denying exist, which is really fascinating, because here, here's the thing. Culture, and you know this, culture has really devolved. Faith, the nominal Christians have walked away, and you've got a plummeting proportion of Americans claiming they're Christians. And of course, making a claim and actually being our two you know, separate things. But the reality is we've made this move culturally, and at the same time, the interest in these topics seems to be skyrocketing. And there's something to that. And I talk a little bit about this in Playing With Fire, but as you sort of look at Hollywood's explosion of these demonic movies, it's happening at the same time as we're moving away from faith. And so I think, you know, subconsciously, people do know that this stuff is true, and they do know there's something to it. And if you go back to the beginning of human existence, anthropologists will tell you this is the most common thing that people have experienced in almost every single culture since the beginning of man. So there's obviously something to it. And as Christians, you know, Christians have a framework through which to deal with all of this, right? We have scripture that explains it. We have the best possible explanation of it. And a lot of people out there, and this is where the danger is, these things feel really appealing to get this power, and so they go down these paths that really do open doors, and they assume, because their favorite housewife is doing it, and because pop culture is showing it to be you know, not damaging or dangerous, that this is going to be an okay thing for them. And that's, that's where the real danger is. So let's let's delve into that a little bit because you have a nexus of a, a bunch of different things. First of all, the crystals movement where, you know, at the airport of all places, Billy, I've been at the airport, you know, looking for the tiniest container of Twizzlers because you only want Twizzlers <laughs> because they're they're very they settle your stomach. It's licorice. I mean, I know all the tricks of, of stomach settling. Don't ask me why. So you want the tiniest <laughs> container of Twizzlers you can get because the big one is meant for four or five people. So a serving of Twizzlers is like four if it's out of the big package. This is more detail than you need, but I'm going somewhere. Well, so I after, will eat the whole big package. So, that's so will I. That's why I'm looking for the smallest package, because I will eat that big package and I won't feel anything about it. Like they don't taste sweet enough for you to feel guilty about eating them, but they're very, very good on the airplane. So I'll go and I'll comb the the store at the, you know, the, the any any one of the shops at the St. Louis airport or any airport where I am. I'm looking for this tiny container. And then you get up there after you've, you know, I've triumphed. I found a smaller container and there are an array of crystals right there. Next. So instead of selling me the the, uh, the chocolate bombs or the Frere Rocher, which those are my passion, but I'm not getting those for the airplane. And then instead, now there's crystals of every size and shape. And right behind it says, you know, for calming, for healing, for this, for that. This is idolatry. It's also, you know, demonic. It's delving in the, into the spirit realm. Um, and you'll hear people 
who are Christians, they'll have a cross hanging around their neck and they'll also have a crystal that has been wound up in a tiny piece of you know wire and it's dangling from a chain and they'll say, well, this crystal helps me to balance my energy. And I'm like, but is there not a cross, right? Like almost adjacent and underneath the crystal right there. I mean, which, where have we not learned? We have failed as a Western church, the, the Western church. And I say Western specifically because church in, in, uh, you know, on the continent of Africa, people who are practicing the gospel there understand the nature of the spirit realm much more because those cultures down there, they really believe in spirit everything. So they're, they're discipling people out of that into, uh, true knowledge of Christ, which means that they have to be in touch with all of the knowledge that they can possibly get their hands on, biblical knowledge about demons and the truth and, and what saves, which is the name of Jesus Christ. They have to know that because that's the, the culture on the continent of Africa, but it's not the culture here. We're scientifically minded. We do not actually acknowledge the existence of demons and things like that. We prefer much more to say, instead of you're demon possessed, because you, ha- you hear voices, you have a chemical imbalance and you need medication to help you because you have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. So it's a different approach here, but that kind of culture has now, that that uh, kind of spirit realm culture has come into America in a big way. And you're right when you say it's all of the influencers, the people with the best lashes, the people with the best press on nails or whatever they're sporting, they're all peddling this stuff. Yeah, they are. And it's, and it's really obviously dangerous and it's damaging but I think, you know, all of this for me, when I look at when I look at Hollywood, and this is the most convicting part, and it was the thing that got me the most, because you said, you know, you talked about the Western church. Hollywood is talking about, and I want people to hear me before I say this, just like, listen with caution. They're talking about a church topic more than the churches. And that that is really troubling. Um, and they're not talking about it theologically the right way. They're They're diving into it. They're telling all these stories. They're putting movies out. And yet you have a portion of the Christian church in America that doesn't want to talk about any of this. It's as though it's not happening. Now, some portions of the church maybe talk about it too much or in the wrong way, and we have to acknowledge that. But a lot of Christians are just not speaking about it. And we did a survey when I was putting Playing With Fire together. We went out and talked to church leaders, and we surveyed almost 1,200 of them. And these were people like leading Bible study. It wasn't just pastors. It was people throughout the church in different leadership roles. And we asked them a whole bunch of questions. Do you believe that Satan is real? Yes, they believe Satan is real. Do you believe Satan is active in the world around us? Yes. You know, all, the, all of the responses you would expect. And then you get to this question about, is your church doing enough to address this issue? And the vast majority said no. So you have the church leaders themselves saying, look, we know this is real. We know there's an impact on individuals and culture, but our church is not actually talking about this. It was almost 8 out of 10. Which is which is unbelievable to me, but yet sadly believable. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that you would say that high number because what what I'm finding is the more the more guests we have here on the podcast and on the night show on Sirius, who are talking about surveys that they've done of Church America. Church America is engaged politically, but doesn't know every answer. Like, can't bring an answer from this political issue. I can't say, oh, I know what the Bible says about that. Or if they have a Bible verse that's related to it, their leftist neighbor has a Bible verse that completely refutes the Bible verse that they have. And so they've not been taught in church. What What is the biblical answer to, you know, immigration, illegal immigration, uh, you know, the details about, um, you know, abortion? Is it really a sin or 
Is it just a choice that a woman is making? These are things that are supposed to be taught in the pulpit because they're bedrock Christian foundational issues and people who don't know them will be led astray. Because I I honestly, Billy, I don't believe that a person who is a promoter and supporter of abortion can be an active, like a a Bible-believing Christian. I believe that you you can be deceived. You can definitely be on the road to coming to the truth about that. But if you're out there, you know, with the Planned Parenthood T-shirt and you're an activist for Planned Parenthood and for abortion and you're actively promoting it and you're supporting it and funding it, that is actually antithetical to knowing Jesus Christ. I don't believe well, that those two evil. things work I mean, together. It's also, it's also engaging in evil, right? Now, I'm not going to go and call the person evil, but they've been over. Right. They've been deceived. They've been right. deceived by evil. And that's what we're watching happen all around us. We're watching it happen in culture. We're watching it seep into the church because all the things you just discussed, right, about just the confusion over issues and not even being able to kind of answer an atheist when it comes to a Bible verse that they're pointing out, not having that context, all of that is painting this insane picture of where we are and how dire it is. Because look, if you, if you look at Ephesians 6, and you know this, it tells us something that is really phenomenal to me, because I had looked past this until I wrote the book. I was like, reading Ephesians 6, okay, great, we're in a battle, you know, between, you know, we're not in a battle over flesh and blood, we're in a battle, um, really, between good and evil, and we're not seeing it. And yet, I would just move past it, and when you really ponder that, when you really look at the fact that we're all so consumed, not that we shouldn't take stances, we should, and we should, you know, obviously defend the gospel and defend truth, but we're so consumed with the fighting each other, and culture is so consumed with it, that we are missing the broader picture, that there is real evil, and it's having a a real impact over all of us. And I think when you stop and you consider that, and you recognize what Scripture tells us about Satan, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he seeks to destroy and kill, and you go down the line on all of these things, and you look at culture, you recognize that a lot of what we're seeing is the result of this evil that has just seeped into everything around us, and yet so many of us, even in the Church, are asleep and not recognizing that. So God can't use a Church that's asleep, right? <laughs> so so we, we know that we are supposed to be the hands and feet of, of Christ. We are co-heirs with Him. We are to disciple others into the kingdom. We know these things. But then when we get stuck in a place of limbo where we kind of almost, you know, we see what the culture says— Everyone's using crystals. Everyone's, you know, having their chakras realign. Everyone's practicing yoga, which is an actual faith tradition. Like practicing yoga means you are a member of that faith tradition. You're actually practicing a separate uh, religion apart from God. Um, all these things are, we, we can have knowledge of some of these things, but then we we don't have the ability to uh, to to articulate it. And I've been just stunned by the weakness, the inability of Christians to just stand up for what's right. And when you do, the backlash that you get from your own side, oh my gosh, that was so embarrassing. That was so rude. I have now taken to just, I'm just factually without, it's not radio, Stacy. I'm not being emphatic. I'm not sounding riled up. It's not a rant. I just say in a calm voice, masks, for instance, we do not have a mask mandate in St. Louis County. It was rescinded and you need to look online and update your information. Are you really expecting me to wear a mask inside the gym while I'm sweating and working out? Right. Also, right. I'm not wearing one. And, she, you know, the lady was kind of pushing back on me a little bit. And I said, I am not wearing a mask. She said, well, you only have 20 minutes. I said, so precisely 20 minutes left for me to go and, you know, do all of the little weights that I do in 20 minutes. So I'm just going to go ahead on in there. 
and she was she was just taken aback by the fact that I was calmly refuting everything that she was saying. But someone else who'd been there, maybe another friend would say, oh, you know, I really wish you hadn't done that. It does. It doesn't hurt to put the mask on and just wear it around your chin. Because when I got in the gym, almost everyone in there had the mask on around their chin chin because they're working out. Right. So it's not covering their nose or their mouth. So why am I even going to wrap it around my chin? I'm not going to play this game anymore. And we lack the courage to do that because we don't believe what God's word says. If it's a battle between good and evil, Billy, do we not then have to pick a side and engage on that side? We can't just pick a side and say, well, I'm for good, but then sit quietly by while evil rampages. We have to speak up. I don't see that leadership anywhere but in people who truly know what God's word says. Well, no, and I think that that is one of the big challenges here, too, because for me, you know, when, when you start to look at, okay, so people are going to come at you and they're going to say, well, maybe that's not evil. Maybe that, you know, you can have these debates when you actually look at evil and you understand it. And you, the starting point is recognizing Ephesians 6. That is the starting point. And that is the starting point where you say, okay, like, I, I get it. There is something else going on here. And if we can't bring ourselves to do that, we have a real problem. But once you do that, then you've got to kind of take the next step. And for me, one of the things I wanted to do in Playing With Fire was to kind of point out, okay, here are the craziest stories. We're just going to tell a few of them. Here are these insane stories that are highly documented. So let's say you're a skeptic, even if you're a Christian, and there are some Christians out there who seem to believe that evil doesn't have the same manifestation that it did in Scripture, that somehow it changed, and demons aren't active and these things don't exist. Well, how do you explain these cases? And so that, for me, was really fascinating, because I'll be honest with you, I'm the kind of person who, you know, I want to be, I want you to prove it to me. I'm a Christian, I believe it exists, but if you tell me you went through a possession and you went through a healing, I want to know that that's true, so prove it to me. And I was blown away in some of these stories where I'm sitting there, okay, I'm going to hear from somebody who's going to disprove this. Someone's going to tell me something, even though I know it's possible and I know it's real as a Christian. And I was blown away by the stories that were verifiable and that didn't have anybody coming forward and saying it wasn't true. And so when you start from that sort of shocking point and you have those bombastic, crazy stories it kind of brings you back to, okay, this is real. And then once you know it's real, you kind of work toward down the other issues that we're talking about. If evil can do that, what else can it do? Can it deceive me? Can it make me believe that an abortion is a moral good thing for a person? Mm-hmm. Can it, you know, these are, so that's kind of why I went there, because I think it's important we understand that broader sort of evil and then how it works its way into our culture and then into our lives. And so there's multiple layers there. Um, but, and I sort of end, you know, the book, I'm, I'm talking about culture because a lot of what we're discussing right now, we're watching culture devolve. And I think people, it's like they woke up in the middle of nowhere. All these Christians are watching it and they're shocked by it. I don't think you're shocked by it. I'm not shocked by it because we've been in this space for a long time watching this stuff come and now it's, it's here. And I think it's going to get a lot worse, but you do have to take a stand and, and that's an essential thing, but you can't do that if you're not even aware that evil exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so to to because uh, I, I want to hang here uh, with the book a little bit more because I, I have a couple more questions. First off, you did mention just, you know, tangentially in the process of coming to write this book, because you had initially kind of veered away from it, you were asked to write about it. So clearly the 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 whoever it was that asked you to write about it, that that publisher felt there was a need for this content. And now you've written it. And in the process of going from there to here, surely you've encountered some reactions from from, you know, people such as ourselves who are in the space. What has the reaction to you writing this book and now publishing it? What has that been? 
Yeah, and I'm happy to speak to that first part, too, because I'll be fully honest. I was afraid to write it the first time because I didn't Mm. have a good understanding of Scripture and Christians' authority over evil. So, And I'm happy to to talk about that, but I'll talk about the reaction first. The reaction has been really fascinating. People who I thought would never really want to talk about it have wanted to talk about it. And I've had a lot of great conversations just on different shows I wouldn't have expected I would go on. And of course, some people are like, oh, wow, he's now the weird book guy. But I think a lot of people are like, okay, you know, there's something here. I had great support from Thomas Nelson and HarperCollins. They really, you know, love this project. They wanted to do it. They found it fascinating. And so that has been, that has really carried over into the public also finding it fascinating. And then you have people who have had these experiences and they're too afraid to tell people. And they're coming to me and they're like, look, this is what's happened. And these are not crazy people. These are people who, like you and me, who have gone through things, who have seen things, or their loved ones have seen them. I've even had people actively in the midst of these sorts of issues happening in their homes. And I'm not, listen, I'm not a deliverance pastor. I've I've been connecting people to people who could help them, and I'm fascinated by these stories, but it always goes back to the solution. What is the solution to evil? It's Jesus. And we see that throughout Scripture, And when I tell you I was afraid to write the book initially, it's because I I didn't really, and I guess I would admit I probably didn't really believe that fully, that we had that protection as Christians if we're living a Christian life. And you go back to Ephesians 6, and it's so fascinating. You you go into it, and it's like, look, you have to live a Christian life. You have to have Jesus in your life. That is going to be what protects you and guides you and gives you that peace and that protection from evil. And so I really came to fully discover that during writing this. And I have to be honest, I, I haven't stopped doing morning devotions. And I'm really, it kind of transformed the way I look at, at everything faith-wise working on this project. I love that. Um, one of my favorite Psalms, especially, uh, you know, going through a difficult time, we are, one of our children is sick and in the hospital. And the first thing I did when I realized that, you know, he was going to need to have surgery is I have this really worn amplified printout. It's one page printed out on a regular piece of printer paper um, that a friend of mine who was my Bible study teacher for quite a while, for like over a year. And one time we were meeting at someone's house. We're all sitting there sucking back the coffee and trying not to eat too many sweets. And she hands, hands, take, take one, pass it on. And so we, you know, pass, take one and pass it on. And it's Psalm 91, but the amplified version you know, how it pulls in other scriptures. And I know there are people out there who don't really like Amplified. I don't read it on the regular basis. But for Psalm 91, I sincerely recommend it because when you are in a place of fear, you you literally feel your whole body shaking from the fear of what's going on. You have to speak the word of God out of your mouth at that point, because otherwise, the fear, it, it, it deactivates your immune, your immune response. Your immune system goes down because your body is pumping out cortisol and you're literally in, you're in the throes of you can go one way or the other. Meaning if you go into that fear response, you will stay frightened. You will stay anxious. You will stay afraid and you'll be unable to hear from God and also not helpful to anyone around you. So I, I just went and got the piece of paper and it's so worn now. I've folded it so many times. I've written little notes on the back and all that, but I got it out. And I was crying and I just called the girls upstairs into our bedroom and we got on our knees and I read it aloud and my voice was quivering and, you know, I'm Oprah snot crying. It's terrible. But then 
about the fifth verse, um, you know, you you will not be afraid of the terror by night. That's verse five, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. And by the time I said a thousand will fall at thy side, my voice wasn't shaking anymore. And I was speaking with authority and I read through the rest of it. And then we each took turns praying. And I know that that God's word works. It doesn't just feed our minds and spirits, renew our minds. It doesn't just um, steady us, but it can literally, it will banish fear. The word of God will drive fear out of your presence and enable you to think clearly and be able to handle almost any situation. And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm now, now it's in my purse because, you know, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks we've been going through this, but I know every time I need it, I want to go right to it and say it. And then if I need more, of course, praise and worship music helps. But when you were writing this book and then going into the experiences of other people, what, what did you find they were relying on in order to get, because you're, you're talking about demons. The, the title of the book is very descriptive, Billy, you, you know, demons, ghosts, exorcisms. This isn't the fun, easy stuff. No, it, it wasn't. And I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that about, about your child. I'll be praying. I know, I know that there's nothing, there's no greater fear than, than that, right? Going through that. And for, for me, reading these stories of the people who have gone through really possession, I mean, we're talking about very severe circumstances. And these individuals, they're all very different stories. They had all, most of them had engaged in something that had led them down a path. And the type of fear that they experienced as a result of this, of course, everyone assumed they're mentally ill. Um, let me tell you one example of a story, because this, this particular story sticks with me the most out of all of them. And the strange part of it is that everybody was able to kind of pinpoint, oh, I engaged in this. I did this. I was looking for power somewhere. Or I went through this sin that, I w- that was unrepentant. This particular person, Amy... That was not her experience. She was a churchgoer. Now, whether or not she was a true Christian is another story, because that's a whole theological debate. Um, And so most would say she probably wasn't, obviously, when she experienced this. But Amy was an emergency room nurse, and one day she was caring for a guy who came in. And this is a woman who never had a mental health problem, never had any depression, no suicidal ideation, nothing like that. She's working in the hospital. And all of a sudden, she starts to feel ill. And she had just been caring for a guy who survived a methamphetamine explosion. And so she's caring for him, and she's trying to write in the file, and she can't do it. And she's like, what's wrong with me? So she goes home, and she's assuming, yeah, I'm just, I'm getting a cold, I'm getting sick. And she goes for a run, because she's a runner, and she can't run in a straight line. And she goes home and tells her husband, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Like, something is not right. And within eight days, this woman who never had any kind of mental health problem goes from being a working nurse and a mom to somebody who is institutionalized. So it takes eight days. She just devolves. And this particular story, the part of it that really gets me is that they spend eight months trying to help her. She goes to the Mayo Clinic. She goes all over the world trying to find healing, all over the country, rather, and ends up having these suicidal thoughts. And the way she described it is that in her mind, she just wanted to end her life. All she could think about was, how do I do it? I'm a nurse. I know I could do this. I could do that. It would end my life. So she goes up to the second floor of her house and she's sitting in the windowsill and she's facing into the house and she's thinking to herself, if I just drop myself out of the window, it's high enough where I'll die. 
that'll be it. So she drops herself out of the window. She doesn't jump. She just like sits back and drops herself. Now, Amy lands on the brick below and she doesn't die. She breaks ribs. She breaks body parts. She's paralyzed to this day. And this happened in 2006. And so she ends up very severely ill in the hospital. And this woman goes to a prayer for recovery. And this woman has never met her, but her name's Cindy. She feels called to go to the hospital and pray over her. And Cindy had had been engaged in deliverance. And for those who don't know, that's that's essentially a Protestant version of exorcism, not to oversimplify it, but we'll just go with that to make it a little simpler. And but it's she, real. Just in case you're listening, if you know, if you're one of the people who listens to the podcast and you're not a person of faith and you're thinking, oh, this is an interesting one, because I usually interview people on education and politics, and you might be thinking, oh, Cindy is a deliverance person. You think of someone crazy like on the movies, or you think of someone that gets made fun of on late night television, but deliverance, Christians, people who deliver people... They're not only real, but they they actually get results for people because they know God. So just want to add that disclaimer in there. That's a real thing that people do, and it saves people's lives. Okay. Absolutely. And and to add to that, just so people understand this, it's not this crazy head spinning thing. You know, it's it's really it's a it's prayer essentially, and it can get intense in certain circumstances. But for the majority, these are these are prayer, prayerful moments of expelling something that should not be there, right? And and I describe this in the book, and I go into great detail on the differences between possession and exorcism and, um, you know, all different types of, all different terminology that is used in this world. And deliverance is an important terminology to understand. So, so Cindy goes to the hospital and performs a deliverance over Amy. And when she gets there, Amy's speaking in another voice. I mean, all the hallmarks, all the things you, you don't just hear about in movies, go to Scripture. And I talk about this a lot in Playing With Fire. In Scripture, we see Jesus repeatedly interacting with demons and people who mm-hmm. are possessed. And when you look at those stories, some of them are wild. I mean, you got the guy coming out of the caves naked, you know, with extra strength and acting crazy. You know, so, so there are very heartbreaking stories in Scripture. And Amy's story had some of those, of those elements. And so this woman, Cindy, performs a deliverance. And once they cycle Amy off of all the medication they've put her on, because remember, she's undergone all this treatment, she has never again had any episode like this. She has never again had any other mental health element that they assumed was, was mental health and is now speaking out about this story. And I'll tell you, Amy, like many people, is hesitant. She was a little hesitant at first to speak out because you don't you don't want to look crazy. But yet she has this incredible story. So I know that was a long story, but there's stories like that in the book that are just incredibly fascinating. And Cindy backs her entire story, right? I mean, you've got witnesses and documentation and all these other things that um, are very hard to refute. So Billy, um, just as a side note, is she still paralyzed? She is. She'll be paralyzed for the rest of her life from the waist down. And she's in a wheelchair. And that was the part of the story that really struck me, right? That you have this, this lasting affliction for the rest of for the rest of your life because of this thing that you've gone through and I know there are listeners who are thinking well she must just be crazy and I mean I've sat down with Amy I'll bring her on the show actually I mean I'd love to bring her on the show and tell her story to you uh, because it is it was one of the most compelling stories that I that I've heard it really was and so yeah she'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life so the the 
Is it that what what does what is it that you think that Cindy thinks was the impetus for this possession? Was it that the man with the methamphetamine overdose she encountered him? When did she encounter the possession? Yeah, yeah, that's a gr- and that's a really good question. Out of all the cases that I've looked at, there's always an impetus. It's always really easy to tell. But Amy has struggled to find that entry point. She has, she's like, I wasn't involved in Ouija boards. I wasn't in, she's like, I was going to church. She's like, but clearly something had happened. There was, there was some door that had been opened for her. And she's still pondering that. I mean, this is something that actively, it's a little perplexing for me as well, because again, you know, even if you pull out faith from the mix and you look strategically and you look through details and facts and okay, this person did this, they're claiming this happened. She doesn't have that outside of that detail of this person having believed to have been a survivor of a methamphetamine you know, drug house. So I don't know if there's something there. She has wondered if there is, but I found her story compelling. Now, there are other ones that are, even, that are very well documented, and some of them you, you're probably familiar with, but her story was a more recent one. I mean, this is something she did not speak out about until 2019. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. So um, I I want to respect your time, but we are having such a great conversation about this, and it's such an important subject for believers and non-believers because the so there's there's an intersection between our world and the spirit world, right? And this is something that's happening all the time. This is going on at all times, and when when we encounter it, and it's secular. We tend to say, oh, you know, the, this person's doing that or, oh, and we, you know, they're, they're dabbling in crystals. But then a year later, you check back in on that same show, you know, the Real Housewives of whoever, and you see that that woman, her life has fallen apart. She's divorced. She's, you know, suffering from illness, physical illness. Uh, she's taking antidepressants and she's having all kinds of problems in her life. And then you think, wasn't she the same one who a year ago, she said she was going to get into having her chakras balanced or she, you know, became, uh, you know, really interested in crystals and working with those. There is a, there, there is a link between people going from just living their normal lives to dabbling in the demonic realm to having their lives fall apart. This is a, and, and also mental illness. So the connection is there and those who dismiss it do so at their peril because as Christians, we are, we are commanded to have a reason for the hope that lies within us. We're supposed to be able to explain to believers and unbelievers alike what is the reason why, if they ask us, we're supposed to be able to explain. And if we don't know the answer, we're supposed to say, you know what, let me find that out and get back to you. And we're supposed to go to the word of God and then take wise counsel among those we know have been in it longer, no more, those who have been to more Bible studies, if you will, and that that can help us decipher the answer and then take it back to that person so that they know, you know, even though she didn't know right away, she went and found the answer and gave it to me. We are not supposed to be stumpable as Christians. There's enough literature, writing, there are enough, you know, concordances and and research, and there's there's more than enough information for us to be able to find the answer to any question that a believer or non-believer has about the faith or how it intersects with our everyday lives. And for us not to do it, it's, it leaves us open to the criticism that we get so often, which is that we're Christianity is fake. It doesn't have any real impact on my life. It can't help me. Christians are all mean or they're all stupid or they're anti-science. Those are all lies. But when we can't answer, we give those lies power. Absolutely. No, and, and that's the thing. We have to be able to answer. And it's okay to say, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to find out. Or, hey, I haven't thought about that. Or, hey, 
I haven't encountered the answer to that, but I am going to find that out and I'm going to get back to you and then get back to them. You know, I think there's this fear, and apparently it's not just Christians, it's Anthony Fauci and lots of other people too, that they have to just have the answer right away. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's oftentimes much better, especially when you're dealing with matters of faith, to say, look, you know what? I don't have that answer. I'm going to get it for you. I'm going to look into it. And one of the reasons, too, I think that we've ended up in this scenario where people aren't addressing these issues is because they don't want to look crazy. We've talked about this. They don't, they're afraid. We have this fear. I mean, listen, Christianity, there's a lot of things in it that on face value, if you don't understand them, are going to seem strange. Why pick and choose one of the biggest pieces, which is that there's evil? I mean, this is, again, Ephesians 6, that this is the dynamic that is happening around you, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you like it or not. There is a battle over good and evil, and if you choose to ignore that evil, man, you're, you're in for a world of hurt because not only are you deceiving yourself, but you're not giving people the answers they need to get over the things that they're facing in their life, too. Yeah, and you're also in for a world of hurt because um, evil is, is a warrior that's constantly on the move, trying to take ground. If you ignore it, it doesn't stop moving or trying to take ground. And when we are unaware of how to deal with what we're talking about here, we leave those among us, our children, you know, people around us, we leave them vulnerable to evil's attack. Um, if you, if, so if we say, you know, if we don't know that something is bad, it's one thing, you know, if, if you just have not yet encountered that. And, and as parents, you know, that that's, that's pretty universal. We know a lot about the things that we should keep our kids safe from, like poking sharp objects into outlets, you know, falling down the stairs, running in the street, the, the basics. And as you grow as a parent and your children grow, you realize there are so many more dangers. And so you start talking to your kids about those and you start baby proofing and, you know, try, trying to control the surroundings. But with the, the spirit realm and demonic influence, there's so much out there in our culture that is readily accepted that, that is actually pure evil. And so we can't ignore it. We have to, the same way that we inform ourselves, you know, you don't just say, oh, I'm not going to worry about my child, you know, my toddler sticking anything sharp into an outlet. I just won't let them hold anything sharp. No, you plug all of the outlets until they're like seven years old. You know, you just don't trust them until they're like more than a talker. These are the same things we have to do with the demonic realm because it's out there and our kids are, are encountering it. And like the woman at the emergency room, she she's going to church. She didn't think she'd encounter anything like she did. And, you know, no, she still she hasn't no really idea. figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to yep. be aware. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would just encourage people. Of course, I would love people to grab playing with fire, read it. But, you know, I'm sure my publisher doesn't want me saying this, but pass it on <laughs> to somebody else. Like, you know, get your because it's like for me, I my passion is just to get people to talk about these things. If I'm going to write a book, it's because I care about the topic and I want people to get educated. I needed to be educated on it. I was afraid. You know, we need to have a healthy reverence and fear of spiritual things. We don't need to be afraid of them like, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to take over. If you're a Christian living right, read Ephesians 6. It's not going to take over. You're going to be fine. But, you know, you've got to be living life the right way, taking up that shield of faith, being a Christian. It's just simple. I mean, this is not, we overcomplicate it. And again, don't let culture talk about a church topic more than the churches. That is unacceptable, and we should not be living in a dynamic where that is happening. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you so much. And I also want to point out to everyone that the book has an Audible. Okay, so you have um, the Audible app that you can listen to it on. And our pastor recommends to us that we, you know, instead of 
feeling guilty about listening to the book, you're still getting the information, still just as good as reading it. Instead of feeling guilty about that, just buy the Audible. And also, um, because sometimes the thing that I'm most disappointed about is I'll be so excited about a book, but I know I don't have time to sit down and read it. And then I go to it and it doesn't have the Audible. Yours does. Yours has... um, your the the audible of this book is available but you can also get the paperback i mean there's an audio cd you can order if you're not an audible person you can buy the audio cd and listen to it in the car when you're driving to and from work um and then sharing it actually helps i know publishers probably don't want you to do that but thomas nelson should know that books that people share with me i will often that one book isn't enough for me i want to share the book but i don't want to give it up so i keep the one that was given to me and i'll go buy a couple and give those away. So the the books will still get purchased. Thomas Nelson shouldn't worry. This is the subject that is so important. Um, Lee Strobel said your book is provocative, insightful, and enlightening, a foray into an often neglected topic that merits more attention than it typically receives. That's quite the blurb. Nice. I I love Lee Strobel, and I was super excited about that because he, and you know, his type of writing is what I love to do. I mean, he just does it so well, but you know, and, and I had talked to him about this, and I'm like, nobody's done this. Like, why has nobody talked about this topic? Like, a- after I had decided to do it, I was curious if he had. You know, I'm like, have you ever thought about this? So it's just, um, it's such an important topic, and I hope people think about it. And listen, I tell people if you have questions, or because I present this very much like a journalist. I'm a Christian, but I put it out there. Here are the details. You make up your own mind. I believe this is real. I think, I think you will after you read it. Um, but let's let's have dialogues that people can Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> tweet me what they think about it. I love to hear feedback, both positive and negative. So fantastic. So we are always I, I, for myself. I'm always so excited when I see you putting out new content. I recommend that people go to Billy's website. Um, you not only can find the books there, but he has a podcast. He has television content. You're also the comms director for Pure Flix, which is one of my favorite apps um, for clean television viewing and entertainment. Uh, your website is BillyHollowell.com. I have links in the show notes to the Amazon link to buy the book, Billy Hollowell's website. Uh, and a couple of other things, all all of the things Billy Hollowell, you can find them in the links to today's show. Billy, I always love talking to you. Thank you for joining us today on uh, Stacy on the Right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. You enjoy. And uh, I will see you around online on Twitter. <laughs> Can't wait. Right. So, um, yeah, definitely check out the links and just be on the lookout. Uh, when When we encounter a resource that we should engage with and it's available to us in audible form, I just feel like that is a a win-win. You guys will remember we interviewed Phil Cook and his book was available on Audible. And I listened to that book. Uh, I listened to it in, I think, one sitting. It was a four-hour book, but I just kept it going all over the place everywhere I went that day because the book was so good. I can tell you I'm doing the same thing because I just downloaded the uh, use one of my Audible credits to get Billy's book and I'm going to be listening to it and I'm going to try to finish it up over the next couple of days. And I'm also going to recommend it to my husband and our son. Um, So, you know, use it as a informational guide to be able to deal with this issue because it's everywhere in our culture. And as Christians, we need to be able to speak to it. So one more quick thing before we jump off of the podcast today, Uh, you may know that we have the Alliance for Shared Health. They are our sponsor here at Stacey on the Right for Family Vision Media, and they're offering affordable healthcare options. And this is the perfect solution to you being upset about the limited options under the Affordable Care Act. 
You can go to stacyontheright.com or familyvisionmedia.org and click the banner ad for the Alliance for Shared Health and sign up to join over 40,000 households who are participating in sharing each other's health care expenses. But this doesn't just stop at your doctor's visit. This is also uh, the opportunity to share for critical illness, accidents, dental, vision. You have a virtual care provider that is zero cost to you. You have a prescription card that works at your pharmacy, your Walgreens, your CVS, your your drugstore pharmacy. The share prescription card, you can use that anywhere. You also have lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. And open enrollment is ongoing. You do not have to be limited to the spring or the fall or November. You can just get in right now. Reach out to Ash today and start saving 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums. It's the Alliance for Shared Health. The banner ad is at stacyontheright.com and familyvisionmedia.org. Start sharing and saving today. Changing healthcare, changing lives. And that's another podcast for the books. We have the best guests. No kidding. <laughs> All right. Check me out at night on SiriusXM's Patriot 125. 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time. I'll be back with you soon.